0: There. We're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports With thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above As we give no quarter, especially the fourth
1: I'm Sam Walter I'm John Lacombe And I'm Eric Skoskauspo oh, Well guys, uh, it is tomorrow's signing day
0: Which is really weird, weird. Very weird, weird. Um, Yeah, kind of you know, snuck up on us. I, I know we hadn't really been talking about it up until uh, just a, a, a couple of days ago, um, you know, with the new early signing period uh, starting uh, tomorrow, the the 20th. I guess it'll be today when you're listening to this um, for a couple of days, uh, recruits or college or high school seniors can sign on the dotted line and, and lock in their national letters of intent. Um, I know I heard a lot of griping from Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, uh, people who are getting prepared for their uh, playoff games or whatnot, complaining that they have to go out recruiting right now. And, you know, there's, oh, but, you know, the early grades aren't in yet. So you're, you know, making, taking a risk on player. Okay, fine, whatever. I, I love it. I, I love that, you know, if someone is ready to commit, now they have an opportunity. Although I, I was, uh, reading Teddy Greenstein had an article in the Chicago Tribune today, uh, where he talked to Fitz, um, and Fitz wants to go even further and just say from the, the point that you make an offer, the kid has 48 hours before he can do anything to it. And after that, he can sign whenever.
1: Yeah. I have, I, I have I have mixed feelings about this because I you know at, at first um we talked about it last fall right like we were or or you know leading into the season that we didn't we didn't quite know how this was going to play out we didn't know what it would look like um we liked the idea that presumably this gives kids a little bit more choice and a little bit more ownership on you know what they do when they do it it allows somebody to quit the process early if they can um but there might be, you know, some unintended consequences. we just, we just weren't sure how it was going to play out. I think what is disappointing to me is that, um, essentially every coach is approaching this the exact same way. And it is, and the and the, the approach is as follows pressure, all the kids that I have got aff- offers out to, to sign early so that I have as much information to go forward and fill out the rest of my roster. And, that's the, I mean, that's the incentive that has essentially been put on the table. Um, what's also interesting, you know, we we talked the last two weeks, I think, about just the mania of the coaching carousel, which is, has kind of finally settled down. This is a gigantic region reason why it was so insane because schools felt like they needed to get a coach asap so they could get a class uh, signed early. And I just I'm I'm surprised. I've seen some reporting around the fact that you know, no coach has a different idea or a different approach. And it has just put, I i, I think, and we're early in it still, right? Like we don't, we don't know how this is going to play out over a number of years, but it feels like right now the only outcome you've really created is just a, a gargantuan extra load of pressure on players and assistant coaches um, at this time of year. And it feels a little, I don't know, it doesn't feel great to me.
2: So I think the, the weird thing is, I, I agree with a lot of what you said, the kind of places that this helps are schools like Northwestern. Um, the, the schools that it doesn't help are schools right, who are sending out tons of offers and, and then the kids are pressured because they're thinking, oh, I've got all this other pressure and all these other guys and now I have the pressure to commit even earlier, whatever. But remember, Northwestern and Stanford offer way less scholarships to kids than any other schools in the country. And basically what that means is you're searching for a real fit. Now, obviously, academics plays a big part in that. But when Northwestern and Stanford go to recruits, they basically say, look, uh, this is a special relationship. We have not offered many guys um, we offered you because across the board, you fit everything we want from these schools. And I think what you see with a lot of these families and a lot of the kids that we sign, a lot of the kids that Stanford signs, is those families react with, We've been waiting for you to call because we feel the exact same way. Uh, academics are an ultra priority, but we also want to play football at the highest level. And, and, we feel like we fit at very few places, and you're one of those places. So, when those places come together, I think that's part of the reason Northwestern and Stanford sign classes really early. And I think for a lot of those guys, and I, I think the Northwestern class is a classic example. These guys just want to be done with it and be Northwestern people as soon as possible. And, you know, a fair amount of them end up enrolling early. And I think they're just like, Northwestern was my school. I was waiting for Northwestern to call. When they did, I committed. I'm done with it. Let's just move on. But like Scott said, that's not the case for everybody. You flip it. Someone like Iowa State, who just enjoyed, like, this really great, season you know historic season they offer 350 kids a year this does them no favors it only just increases the pressure and the mess for them but yeah I think you know it happens to benefit us
1: the the prevailing theory in in among like national college football writers though is the opposite and that's that schools like Notre Dame Northwestern and Stanford who might be more likely to be waiting on a test score for a kid before they're able to you know certify an offer that that that
2: that that could be coming up and maybe that's, you know, you know, that's one of those things. So here's the thing, right? I think people say that, but I think in practice, I don't think it happens as often. I'm not saying it doesn't happen across the nation. I think in the case of our schools though, I think Northwestern identifies guys who make the grade really, really early and I think and, they kind
1: and of – It feels like they do it by a margin too. Like there's not a lot of uh, borderline cases.
2: Right. Yeah, I and, completely and, agree, yeah. And I think of guys – I think of the like the flip side, right, where it's like the – it cuts both ways too. Because I remember like Laquan Treadwell, right? Laquan Treadwell, who ended up going to Ole Miss for who knows what reasons, um, out of where – I think he was what? Crete Monet, I want to say. He was like one of the top players in the state from the moment he was a freshman in high school. And we never offered him. And you know, with a guy that talented who's right in your backyard, you're doing your homework really early, not just on like where this guy is academically right now, but where you think he can possibly get to. And based on that, will you make an offer now? Because you've got to, or you're never gonna have your place in line again. So yeah, I think Northwestern I mean, I, I think, you know, they they hone in on the guys they want as early as they possibly can. And and I never really got the sense that you know we're offering kids
0: who are gu- who are even on the borderline. It's like like, like you guys a, are...
1: there were a couple of cases a couple of years back, and maybe the staff has moved away from it um but I remember there was a relatively well publicized case, maybe a wide receiver that ended up going somewhere
2: else. I can't quite remember the details, but I want to say it was uh faith acock i want to say oh, who yeah, ended yeah, up going, yeah. who, who ended right. up going who ended up going to Iowa. Mm-hmm. that's right. you're right but I mean like that's the exception that proves the rule right like you just don't hear about it happening yeah
0: so it'll be interesting to see uh tomorrow uh how many I guess we have 16 commits at this point um and the latest commit I think we uh we do want to talk about I know we've kind of mentioned (laughs) a few of
1: them talk
2: about it
1: I mean I I've been I've been like hitting you guys on Twitter and on text like for 24 hours now and uh, at the beginning, when we got on the on the call tonight uh, before hitting record, um, I was frothing at the mouth with excitement. You guys were like, aren't you excited about the rest of our class? I was like, I know nothing about the rest of our class. Now I've looked at the rest of our class, I've been reminded about names like Devin O'Rourke and uh, Charlie Schmidt and uh, Wyatt Blake, Isaiah Bowser. I'm like, this class is so nasty.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the latest edition, and I, I believe we will expect to see him sign tomorrow. Uh name might sound familiar. Uh, Drake Anderson, that's right. The son of
2: Damian Anderson. Hell yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's funny because there's a couple different ways to go at this. Um I know Scuzz is excited to go at this from the film and, and you know, his his film I don't think is the most And the minor pedigree. One. The pedigree yeah. John. Well the Well the pedigree, of course, obviously. Uh the pedigree of the the back who had the single greatest season in Northwestern rushing history, uh, our junior year of college, scuzz. Um, But to me, what I think is hilarious is um, Drake Anderson isn't just Damian Anderson's son. He's literally a homegrown talent. Uh, <laughs> what I mean, if I can not put too fine a point on this and, and step as delicately as I can, is... Um, the earliest stages of Drake Anderson's life uh, quite possibly began on Northwestern's very campus. Um, He is making a homecoming of sorts um, as I believe a 17 year old. And if you rewind the clock, that puts us again because we're Damian Anderson age that puts us right about our junior year at Northwestern. So this is a literally a literal homegrown talent uh, coming, coming back to, to do good for our team.
0: I don't, when I, when I first started thinking about this, I'm like, Oh my God, the, the son of players I was in school with are now going to school. I feel so old, but
1: (laughs) I know I'm, I'm invigorated beyond, beyond belief about this. Um, so a, like for a couple months now, I've been seeing, um, Drake's name pop up on Twitter and not necessarily because of Northwestern fans on our feed, but um, he was having a hell of a senior year in Arizona and uh, the attention was starting to, to show. And I kept thinking like, Oh my goodness, how great would it be to get this guy? But seems like, you know, based on the way people are talking about it, probably not going to happen. Um, turns out he's a real late riser in the recruiting world. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't even have a star rating from rivals Um it, I think he was not really on anybody's radar until until of late he only has four uh FBS offers. I think that's right. Um Illinois among them. You know, he's gotten some interest in, and and maybe it became very clear early on that he was going to Northwestern and other schools just were like, well, I, you know, I'm going to give up. I'm not going to bother, but um there there are there are two things that I'm just I'm super excited about. One, I just watched this film. He runs just like his dad. He is as fast as the wind. Um, I, re- I re- there's a number of tapes I recall very, very vividly. Uh, one is Tyrell Sutton, who was just a, a human pinball, uh, on the, on the football field and, and virtually untackle tackleable in his high school tape. The other is venrick Mark, who, I, you know, all three of us were falling out of our chairs watching it. Um, uh, and and just the, you know, the the speed that was so obviously clear and and just such a uh, an elite level beyond what we had on the, on on the Northwestern team and when I you know when I look at Damian at Damian Ander, or Drake Anderson D A three he shall be here too known here uh, known as uh, he he exhibits speed that borders on the the level that, that Venric Mark was at, except I don't see him running around the edges of the defenses that, that, you know, Venric, when he got to, to college, he had to figure out how to run between blockers, how to set those up. DA three is already doing that. I mean, he runs straight up the gut for like 70 yard touchdowns on half of his highlight uh, tape. And he's got the lateral moves um, and uh, ability to change direction that maybe his dad didn't even possess. And, it's pretty exciting. I know, John, you're a little worried. He's a little slight of frame. He's 77 He's well, so, he's 5'11". I'll have you know, Austin Anderson is listed as 5'9 on the Northwestern roster <laughs> right now, and we know that's a generous 5'9". So so
2: here's here's something to say, only because it kind of helps us uh, maybe do a little bit of a pivot to a brief perusal of, of the list of commits as a whole before we move on. The two running backs we have signed um, in this class are guys whose high school careers are really, 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 really good and did not have a ton of college offers at the highest level. And those two guys are Drake Anderson and Isaiah Bowser, the reigning Ohio State player of the year. Um, And I think the first one of those we've signed since Tyrell Sutton, um, who basically rushed for like 250 yards a game all season long and single-handedly put his very mediocre high school on his back and carried them to the playoffs for the first time in decades. Um, And then Anderson, who, like Scuzz said, has great high school tape and had really made a name for himself, especially his senior year. Neither of these guys had huge offers. We didn't really beat anyone big for either of them. Anderson's only other, I think, Power 5 offer was Illinois. He also had Nevada and I think maybe one other school. And Bowser, I think, had a couple of Mac schools and I think a couple of of mid-level Power 5 schools. But we were probably the best offer for both of them. It's just one of those things where it's like, how much does high school production translate to the next level? Um, and it's funny you mentioned Austin Anderson. That was a guy on tape I was sure was going to be a rock star, and for whatever reason, it didn't come out. So I don't know. Let's put it this way: if either even one of these two guys has anything a- approaching their high school production on a college football field, we are set. Well, I, I just got to get. I, I got to get out a little bit on the nostalgia front too,
1: and that's that's really why I'm so excited about this because that was. I mean that was the seminal season for my like college football fandom, uh, the year two thousand when we you know we won the, our share of the Big Ten, we went to the Alamo Bowl, et cetera, And Anderson, I mean Kustak gets a lot of the, I don't want to say accolades, but a lot of the conversation was around Kustak and and the leadership he showed and just the the grit that that he displayed um, running that offense figuring things out on the fly. He was clearly not the most talented of of passers, but he, he got it done. But Anderson was the the Lamborghini in the garage that year. Just so fast. Um just eviscerated Big Ten defense after Big Ten defense. And, you know, the teams figured out the following year. A, he was he was dinged up the following year. But they also figured out, you know, how to stack the box against him and that uh, we didn't have the threats on the outside to attack deep, and that was kind of the, the end of the Kevin Wilson era at Northwestern. But um, I just, out even outside of that season, I, I remember a time that Damien Anderson came to a band practice and was um, <laughs> just epically awesome. And he was, you know, I, I remember how excited we all were when he said he was coming back for his senior year. I mean, we felt like we were going to win the conference again, and it just it brings back just a flood of good memories and it is so exciting um, to think about Drake being on uh, this team in the, in the, in the future. Um, I also just have a soft spot in my heart for all the Northwestern running backs. Shout out to, to Jay Wright and Noah Heron. And uh, <laughs> I already mentioned Sutton and Mark. I mean, we've just had such an awesome uh, core of, of, of guys come through in the you know 20 years that I've been following this team closely. So
2: I, um, I just want to mention, since you brought up Mark, this class also does include a tiny burner from St. Pius High School in Houston, <laughs> Jacob Jefferson. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say I'm, I'm not a little excited about that. One other thing that I wanted to bring out, all of these guys this past week were all all visited campus, and there's a photo of all of them together, the whole group, and uh, including Anderson, who hadn't yet signed with the Cats. And the only one missing was Khaled Jones uh, from South Carolina because he was busy playing in the North Carolina, South Carolina ho- uh, high school all-star game and being named defensive MVP. And he's the only one who wasn't there. In addition, there were a couple uh, preferred
0: walk-ons um, that we had we haven't had a chance to talk about. this. We haven't had a chance to get to know about much uh, lately, um, definitely looking forward to seeing who who does officially sign tomorrow, uh, who takes advantage of the um, of, of the early signing period, and then it'll be interesting to see how it shifts to the February signing day. Um, you know, how many spots will will there be left? And that, a lot of that depends on you know who who is leaving, who goes early, who's maybe gonna. You know, retire, uh, maybe not take their their final season. Uh, so th- there's still a little bit of flexibility in there. Although there is one name that uh, was made official will not be leaving early, and that's Clayton Thorson. I-, I don't know that there was a whole lot of worry that he would, but I-, I definitely had in the back of my head, you know, the you know, looking at the other QBs who. Are coming out into the draft this upcoming year. Thorson, you know, ranks in that list and probably gets drafted fifth, sixth round, maybe. Um, I, I think for him, it makes uh, all sorts of sense for him to come back one more year, uh, you know, run that offense. And, you know, I, I don't know who's going to be next, like the 2019 NFL draft, but, uh, yeah, you know, a
2: good year from Thorson and he'll definitely be in that consideration. It's funny you bring that up because I, I I read this and first I was like, you know, that's great that he's coming back. I don't know that there even needed to be an announcement. I think everyone pretty much assumed that he was coming back. But it did get me thinking, if Thorson had had the kind of season where right now we would have been wringing our hands waiting to find out whether he was coming back or not. Would that kind of season have improved our record this season? Do you believe that if we would have gotten a better Clayton Thorson than we did get this year to the point that he was considering testing the NFL draft waters, would it have won us any of the three games that we lost, particularly I, I, the Wisconsin game?
0: That That's exactly where I was going with it. Um, what What kind of popped to mind is, you know, a a better Clayton Thorson maybe doesn't
1: throw that pick six. Yeah. That's the first thing that came to my mind too. He also, he also did not play well against Duke. Uh, True. He was pressing. He was trying to do too much. He was holding the ball too long. I, I think that game could have had a dramatically different landscape if, um, if he was playing, say the way he played against Maryland.
2: Of course, our line was still like a mess at that point too. I mean, that's, that's why I bring it up. I'm like, I, I think of, I look, you look at his numbers and you're like, wow, his numbers this year were just really not what they were last year. But then I'm like, I, you know, when would it have helped us? I mean, I think obviously people think about the pick six, like you said, him step and him stepping out of bounds, of course, for the safety is what everyone's going to remember too, at the end of the game. But was that really a difference making play? I, I,
1: I don't know, man. I think his numbers are almost, I mean, with the exception of TDs, his numbers are pretty close to last year.
2: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, he, he I mean, his second half of the year was, you know, was decent.
1: Um, his completion percentage was better. Um, he threw three more picks and seven less TDs, but some of that might be around um, the prowess of the running game and scoring. Uh, he took he took nine fewer sacks. Now, granted, we still have another game. But if, if, he we get, for, if he gets
0: if, sacked nine times against Kentucky, then
1: I think we're going to have a lot more <laughs> to talk about. Well, and if and he, I and think if he, he's going to
2: change his mind if he gets sacked nine times against Kentucky.
1: Well, and if he if he throws for 200 yards against Kentucky, he'll be above 3,000 again.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I again, I, I didn't mean to make it sound like he, he had a way worse. But, I mean, like, you could fold him into the whole problem at the beginning of the season. And I think, like, that's what I was saying. I think my point is I don't know – that we that it makes a difference. I mean, right? Like, I mean, a better Clayton in that Duke game, great. But again, it's hard to divorce his play at the beginning of the season from the Lions' play at the beginning of the season. Very fair. Um, or the wideouts, to be fair, too. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I it, it was just something that popped into my head. I mean, I. It, it certainly is possible that if ha- Thorsten had some season where everyone was talking about him as a first-round draft pick, then I feel like we pick up at least one of those three games. But I don't necessarily think it's it's a done deal. But I'm glad he's coming back. And, I mean, he's going to just have a chance to eviscerate all the quarterback records at NU. The, the QB evaluations that I believe
1: for the next level are predominantly based on um, completion percentage and number of years that you started in college. And, you know... Not ever like Cam Newton did not <laughs> come out good on that scale, right? So it's not perfect, but it is a pretty good indicator of uh, how good a player is at, at playing the quarterback position and what success they might have at the next level. And Thorson's a three-year starter. His completion percentage has dramatically improved from the fifty percent he put up his first season. He's up over sixty now. Um, I you know I don't think he's certainly not like a top five rounds draft pick, right? Like he, he might get selected fifth, sixth or seventh. If he came out this year, this year, yeah.
0: But he definitely has an opportunity to, to move that up a little bit.
1: Yeah. He, he has an opportunity. I mean, we know that this guy can make, can make the throws. Um, I think, I think there was an article that CJ Bechet wrote earlier at the beginning of the season that basically said, like, if he had, you know, if he were playing at Oklahoma or, or other places, we'd be talking about the Heisman trophy. I don't quite think that is true. Um, I I don't think he's uh, a first round talent, but he certainly has, um, has enough arm talent and, uh, and whatnot to be, you know, to have a shot and have a, have a reasonable shot at the NFL.
0: So, uh, definitely, like I say, looking forward to early signing day tomorrow. Um, glad that Clayton's coming back. Let's go ahead and, uh, turn our attention to the bowls. Uh, we previewed the first half of all the bowls. Um, games have started up already. Uh, we had five games, five or six games on Saturday. Uh, we had a absolute evisceration of Akron by Florida Atlantic tonight. Um, Lane Kiffin, 10 year, uh, contract extension with Florida Atlantic. Um, be interesting to see what, uh, what the buyout situation is on either side of that. Oh, I, I think oh I'm
2: sure he's there for all 10 of those years. No, oh, absolutely. no doubt. <laughs> in my say, mind. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: and it was actually interesting. They were, they were talking about, it. it's like, okay, they signed a 10 year deal. Financial terms have not been agreed upon. Buyouts on either side have not yet been agreed upon, but it's a 10 year deal. I'm like, yeah, that's a 10 year deal. Like an NFL contract is a seven year deal. That, yeah, absolutely. That 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 definitely checks out, right? But in any case, um was there any anything else uh in the first couple of bowl games that you guys saw that uh really kind of makes makes you want to talk about right now?
2: Not much. I mean, I watching the Lane Train tonight mow down Akron um and then watching uh, Kiffin if he would just stay at Florida Atlantic which again it's he's such a low character guy that it's just it's it's a it's a double-edged sword because on one hand uh he would leave the first chance that he got but on the other hand He's he's such a soiled brand, even after he started winning at Florida Atlantic. If he keeps winning there, though, someone's going to grab him. I don't care what the buyout or this stupid 10-year contract is. But it's just so awesome. Not awesome, but awesomely hilarious to watch a guy who just owns his jerkness so hard, as Lane Kiffin does, just to watch a guy steer into it so hard. In, in his post-game press conference, um, he's like... He's just talking about, well, we haven't played a close game in 11 games and we've destroyed every single team we played. And Akron was a good team tonight and we destroyed them. And I'm just like – it's just like – it's like if Johnny Lawrence from The Karate Kid became a football coach and eventually became Lane Kiffin. I feel like that's who Lane Kiffin is. But it's just like that's his corner and he owns it so hard and it's kind of like – it's kind of neat to have like a movie villain – uh, out there doing his thing, um, and now you fold the Twitter into it. So I would love it if he just built up a brand at Florida Atlantic and made that his thing. But I, the minute someone offers him a better job, he's going to take it. If he if he does
1: not get picked up after next season, assuming that they're good again next year, because they're they're basically last chance. You, I mean, they got so many transfers. Lit- <laughs> literally,
2: literally last chance. You, uh... but but
1: if. He, if he doesn't get picked up at the end of next season, watch Ole Miss get him just in time for their
2: sanctions to expire. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, that right? Be, like that would be the Ole Missiest hire ever. Would be They really don't have anyway. scruples. Yeah. No, they true. sure don't. No. Good point. That's, all right. Aside from that, though, I mean, has there really been much else? I don't know. I mean, all, all I can tell you is that I've lost pretty much every game I've picked in the, in the <laughs> West Lab Pirates Bowl Challenge. That's about Bo- all I have to say, is just I've been wrong every single time.
1: Boise's thumping of Oregon was um notable to me just because of I I think and probably unfairly, um, people are basically like looking at Mario Cristobal and saying, like, oh, the Mario Cristobal era starts with a whimper. Like I think that was the headline I saw. And that feels a little, yeah, feels a little harsh. That's, um, that's that's rough. But I mean, perception is reality, and if that's the the perception that people have, like he's he's suddenly got a, a an uphill climb to to get that program. But, I mean, like like t- to me, that was kind of a step back for Oregon. Not that they lost, but they kind of got thumped. Well, and by but, a, by a Boise team that was not on anybody's radar this season, unless you're a college football junkie like the three of us.
2: Well, that was because Boise jumped on them. Really fast, I think the game was like twenty one nothing or twenty four seven or something like that, and then Oregon kind of picked it up and got back into it a little bit, but the game was never really that close um but yeah, I mean, I think maybe that's part of it. you have the transition everything, and then a team more established team just jumps on you or whatever, but yeah, I mean, what can you really read into it no i I
0: really have a hard time like reading into the future of a program based on a bowl game I mean motivations are completely askew
1: from, like, a regular season game, Um you know. Oh, I, I, I totally agree, but my concern is more about, like, the media writes that narrative and high school coaches see it and think, oh, steer kids away. You know, like, I don't want to send my kid there. I'd rather send him to Washington or, you know, Mike Leach just signed a deal. Like, what's, you know. what well, because, because
0: they got beat by a top 25 team?
1: I mean, again, perception's reality. Like...
2: Yeah. I, I don't, don't agree with it.
1: I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I I think suddenly his, his hill got a little steeper to climb.
2: Yeah, maybe that's about it though. Is there really anything else? I mean, they're they're This is the first half of this whole season is really short on storylines. I was, I was surprised Colorado state, um, got beat by Marshall,
0: um, Speaking of
1: getting jumped on, right? Like, yeah.
0: yeah. But to their credit, I mean, they came back and made it real interesting late. Um, i'm p- i'm pissed that they didn't take
1: care of business yeah me too. a lot
0: of points writing on that yep um troy beat north texas i think we all were on that uh i think none of us had georgia state over western kentucky is is that correct yeah no i don't think so i yeah and then middle tennessee arkansas state i'm pretty sure i was wrong on that one too but uh Yeah, so, you know, those early games were, you know, trickling a few more as this week goes along. Um, You know, we we talked about them a lot last week, but uh, let's dive into our our previews as we uh, pick it back up on Thursday, December 28th. The Military Bowl uh, features Virginia versus Navy. Uh, Virginia team that kind of limped their way through the season you know i'm a little surprised they they got bowl eligible um navy we, we saw as we saw uh losing to army in the snowball uh two two game losing streak to army um
1: what do you think guys the only thing on this is like you know virginia was like they beat boise somehow early in the season and then everyone was like oh virginia and then they just like tripped over an imaginary yard line and face planted for the rest of the year and this game is this basically is basically a home game for navy so i mean it is a home game for navy right they're playing in the navy stadium yes yes it is it is a home game for navy. So <laughs> it's, it feels like this one is gonna uh is gonna go the way of the midshipman to me uh N- navy a two-point favorite in this one
2: yeah so you know one of the guys to watch in this game i think you know, I think over the last couple of years, Navy's had a quarterback named Zach Abe, who's been kind of their go-to guy. But I believe he's injured right now, and I don't know if he's back for this game. But Navy unleashed this guy, uh, Malcolm Perry, this season, who's only attempted two passes, at, but he was out there a lot during the snow game against Army. Um, and I think his, as a guy that's maybe has had some wing back, but it's gotten you think even more use at quarterback and he is fast really fast like uh an unbelievably fast quarterback where you'd be like wow i can't believe this guy is is a quarterback and then you watch him throw and you're like oh yeah that's right this is navy um but he navy's got some real athletes and yeah i think they're a little bit down relative to the other guys but i would still pick them in this one uh moving on to uh the camping world bowl in
0: orlando florida uh, featuring Virginia Tech and Oklahoma State, this is the first game featuring two top twenty-five teams. Um, <clears throat> both Virginia Tech and Oklahoma State were nine and three this year. Uh, I mean, Oklahoma State's offense. I mean, you got Mason Rudolph had a really, really good season. I mean, forty-five hundred yards, thirty-five touchdowns. and that's that's pretty massive. Um, Va Tech, Justin Fuente really got him going this year. It's uh, it'll be
1: it'll be fun best pass D in the in the nation um, in terms of opposing completion percentage for Virginia Tech so this is this is an exceedingly strength on strength type matchup like one of the best offenses against one of the best one of the best passing offenses against one of the best passing defenses I think it's gonna be fascinating uh, I, I kind of like the Hokies I just I don't like the way Oklahoma State finished the season I guess Virginia Tech didn't look so hot either but um,
2: this this is this is one of the better bowl matchups. He, I just these are two great coaches. Gundy has been a guy who just perennially does not get enough credit for how good of a job he's done at Oklahoma State, and Fuente is one of the real rising stars. I mean, he's done a great job at Virginia Tech after doing a great job at Memphis. Both of these guys could be the head coach of Tennessee if they wanted to be. <laughs> <laughs> did they ask Fuente? I don't think yeah, they did. But... I don't know. They they pro- maybe they sent him and he was like, "Yeah, I'm good, thanks." Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I it, this should just be a, a great football game.
0: Uh, t- talk about a great matchup there. Uh, later on that evening, Alamo Bowl in San Antonio. You got Stanford and TCU. Um, you know, that two conference runner up, runners-up here, I mean, that's a, that's a
1: phenomenal game. And again, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Again, strength on strength. Running back Bryce Love from Stanford, guy who got a lot of Heisman hype this year who I think, was, second. I, I think had like a nine plus uh, yards per carry stat for, for a large part of the season going up against one of the five best rushing defenses in TCU. I mean, this is like it is what TCU does is, uh, is defense strong against the run. So another good matchup, maybe not as um, not as prone to fireworks as the first one might be, but uh, I'm,
2: I'm pretty excited that, that is that is an evening that I have earmarked for college football Kenny Hill and Bryce Love that's I mean that's fun like something's got to give um and maybe it won't maybe these two defenses are like nah no one's gonna score in this game but um I'd love to see Bryce Love have some sort of breakout performance I don't know if TCU is going to give it to them yeah but this is this is great nighttime football uh for sure
0: well TCU is a two and a half point favorite in that one um Definitely looking forward to that. Uh, Going on at the same time on FS1, you've got the San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl, uh, Washington State and Michigan State. Um, I I think this is sort of the place that uh, everyone who thought Northwestern got snubbed in the bowl selection uh, system. You know, we would have been in this game instead of Michigan State. Uh, Frankly, I'm fine letting Michigan State try to handle Luke Falk.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, maybe I'll end up being totally wrong on this one. We talked about this before. I just, Washington state just feels like the better team to me in this game. Um, I, I just feel like they had that one game where they fell on their face halfway through the season um, that it sounds like, you know, the, the, the PAC 12 had these real scheduling problems this season with these road games on short rest. um, And they really kind of dug them a hole and a couple teams just didn't show up for those games. And again like Michigan State like we've seen them we know they're capable of producing dangerous offense but they're so inconsistent offensively and Washington State is not Washington State will score points and uh you know I don't know I mean I think a lot of people are are just expecting that Michigan State is just gonna have the talent advantage and just play out on this one and I don't know if Washington State's offense shows up and Michigan State's offense doesn't show up Washington State could have this one easy
1: I feel like Washington State got worse as the year progressed, and Michigan State did the opposite. I I, I like how Lowry played down the stretch. They even seemed to find a little bit of a running game as the year closed out. And I don't know. I almost look at Michigan st- Michigan State's style is almost similar to Washington. Certainly, you know, like a defense first, uh, really fundamentally sound type approach. Like like Washington doesn't come across to me as a team that is really aggressive or super disruptive and like they're just they're just really really solid i'm double checking the stats uh here over my over my uh my shoulder and i see that i'm not entirely off on that their linebacking core uh, at washington is is pretty stunning but washington or washington state Washington, um, who beat Washington State forty-one fourteen, and it wasn't even that close. And gotcha. Okay. I just, I just wonder if Michigan State is going to be able to grind, grind, grind out a win in this. Um, I don't think they're going to win by thirty, but I think, I think they could have the type of stout defense that would really just, you know throw a wrench in the spokes of, of what Mike Leach is trying to do at Washington state. And on the other side of the ball, you know, that Washington state's D is, is pretty weak and Michigan state has at at the very least, a lot of talent and, and a QB that is, um, squirrely.
0: Now, Wazoo is a two point favorite in that one. Um, they'll have a good crowd coming down from, uh, Pullman, but I would imagine that, uh, Sparty will have a good following, uh, cause everyone wants to get out of Michigan and go to
1: San Diego, uh, for the holidays. I know I certainly would. I'm going to San Diego in February. I wonder if it's harder to get there from Pullman, Washington than it is from Cincinnati, Ohio.
2: I was going to say, Sam, you're like, want to get out of East Lansing. I'd be like, I'd want to get out of Pullman in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it might be hard. I mean,
1: from East Lansing, that's not easy either, but well, I mean, from East Lansing,
0: you got you just—it's not that far of a drive to Detroit, um, and then Detroit to San Diego is—I mean, there are plenty of flights uh, that way. From Pullman, you just go to go to Spokane, which isn't that far, and then I know Southwest has flights Spokane to San Diego, so it's still, I—I I think it's still easier to get from Pullman to San Diego than it is from Lansing.
1: You are correct. There is no major airport within an hour and 23 minutes of East uh, of East Lansing, Michigan.
0: In any case, let's move ahead to uh, December 29th. Um, that is uh, the day that we play Kentucky. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. But uh, kicking off that morning, the Belk Bowl uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. You got Wake Forest and Texas A&M.
1: This is a really. Can, int- can I, sorry, no. Oh, go ahead, back? guys. I lied. It's exactly one hour and twenty-four minutes from East Lansing to Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Staven retracted. I, um, the Michigan State hordes are clearly going to descend on uh, on San Diego. Um,
2: as as far as the Belk Bowl, um. Both of these, the fact that these are two seven-win football teams is a little deceiving. Um, I think they're both better than seven wins. For starters, A&M only has seven wins because they somehow gave away in horrific fashion that UCLA game at the start of the year um, that they never should have lost. That was an amazing comeback by UCLA that ended up being UCLA's best win by far in a horrible season. And if A&M doesn't blow that game, it kind of flips the script on their season. I mean, I think everyone was saying, right, that someone was fighting for his job going into the LSU game, or by the time the LSU game rolled around, that kind of people were already out for his head. But if they had had um, eight wins going into that game instead of seven, you could argue that a lot of the script might've been flipped. And That they, you know, potentially another momentum, and then if they pull off that LSU game, it's nine wins, which is a tall order, but part of my point is that aside from that UCLA debacle, their other losses were Alabama, Mississippi State, Auburn, and LSU, and the LSU game was on the road, and Mississippi State, Nick Fitzgerald got on them, but they were pretty decent in the other three games, so... Um, I mean, they're a legit team, and then you immediately want to frame that as, well, you know, they might be down, but they're still an SEC team, and Wake doesn't know what they're in for. Wake's resume is pretty good, too. Um, Wake played some good teams this season, you know, Clemson, etc., and uh, didn't really fall on their face against anybody. Um, I'm sure A&M has the big talent advantage, but, I mean, both of these teams can play.
1: Wake is 30 slots higher than A&M in the uh, S&P Plus rankings from Bill Connolly. Um, they have a, a, a sound defense. Uh, you could argue that a does as well. The difference is on the offensive side, where uh, John Wofford, the QB at Wake Forest, has been awesome, and Texas a and offense has been garbage, and now they don't have someone who's been the offensive guy there for, what, five years, seven years? Um, I don't know. I, the... The the one real interesting X factor to me in this game is that a lot of times when a team gets rid of their coach and hires a new coach, you figure, oh, that's gonna be upheaval, it's gonna be a problem in the bowl. We just talked about Mario Cristobal and Oregon, right? There are times though, and I felt like Northwestern experienced this when we played AM several years ago, there are times when the coach coming to a new school is so exciting for that school because they got their guy and, and they're just they're all jacked up that I feel like it can have a buoying effect. And when we played A and M in that Houston Bowl in 2011, they had just hired someone, and they were they were out of their minds excited because they had gotten this guy from Houston and all the amazing things he had done at Houston, the offensive you know numbers he had put up. They were coming off the uh, the RC Slocum era, if I'm right, um, which had been defense, defense, and more defense. They tried to win games like 12 to six, so. I mean, I, I, I remember going into that game, like they had Ryan Tannehill, right, who was good. And and someone didn't coach the game, uh, it was Tim DeRuder actually filling in. Um, now the, the guy at, I want to say Northern Illinois. But anyways, it just, it just felt like they had a different level of enthusiasm uh, in that matchup. And I, and I felt like some of it was, at, you know, someone was on the sidelines, he was walking around in his sunglasses doing interviews, this, that, and the other thing. And there's just kind of like an excitement for the future. And if they ain't excited about Jimbo Fisher, they're crazy. Um, you know that they are, and I, I wonder if that uh, gets them over a hump in a game that all thing all other things being equal, I would expect Wake Forest to win.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's always interesting to uh, to talk about motivation uh, for the game, and it's it's hard to tell. You know, is, will A and M show up for Jimbo? Because um, Jimbo will be there on the sidelines, like Sumlin was uh, back in uh, back in Houston for, with us. But, uh, you know, it, it's this weird, you know, weird situation where you just really have no way of predicting if A&M is going to come out guns blazing for Jimbo or if they'll, you know, the players who are still there are bummed that someone's gone. You know, it, it it's really hard
2: to predict. I'll, I'll be honest. Ever since Scuzz brought up this whole teams being buoyed by the arrival of a new coach, I've just been waiting for us to move on to the Sun Bowl. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so uh, let's talk about the Sun Bowl.
0: Uh, You've got NC State, uh, who had a a really quite decent year uh, there in the ACC. They were frisky all year. Uh, Going up against, probably aside from Tennessee, the biggest tire fire in in the college football coaching carousel, uh, Arizona State. Um, a situation where Herm Edwards was brought in uh, with the impression that the rest of the coaching staff was going to be there. That is no longer the case as both the offensive and defensive coordinators have left Arizona State. Um, so that is just going to be such a fascinating uh, program to watch. As as they move forward, yeah. Especially considering there are still plenty of people who did not want to see Todd Graham go. That's neither here nor there. They they have to play a, a really decent NC State team.
1: He's Todd Graham's coaching this bowl game. Wait, what? Yes. When they fired him, they said that he would stay on to coach the bowl game. And that is, um, is he coaching at, the, what about,
2: what about the coordinators? Are they still As of there? a couple
1: of weeks ago, Is still true. And I, I, I think my understanding is one of the coordinators is hanging around. The other one is leaving the, uh, Phil Bennett, I think is going to be there, but the other one who's going to take a head coaching job at, in Louisiana, I believe is, uh, is gone. Wow. This becomes, this becomes a win one for the Gipper. Cause like the players were pissed when they fired Graham. I, I'm, I actually think ASU is going to be really fired up for this game. As a result, yeah, either, either that or they're going to come out, drop trout, take a collective dump on the field, and walk out.
2: Yeah, I'm just, I feel like we're we're going to miss out on some sort of El Paso like the salsa. I don't like salsa now. Don't bring me that. Somebody El Paso get a rope. Salsa. <laughs> 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 just missing out on on Herm or Herm being like, son, what you mean, son? I like. I'm a nighttime guy now. Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just i i can't, The Herm Edwards era cannot arrive fast enough. Like let's just get let's get this game over with so we can fast forward to that one.
0: Ah, uh, game that I know we're all just can't wait to talk about. Uh, the Nova Home Loans Arizona Bowl down in Tucson, Arizona, featuring New Mexico State and Utah State. Um, congrats to New Mexico State. I believe this is their first bowl game in what, 50, 60 years. That's all I got to say about this bowl game.
2: Yeah, no. Uh not much. So, yeah, New Mexico State, if they win, that's a winning record, which uh, have they ever had a winning record? I have no idea. So, good for them. Their quarterback's thrown for more yards. Have they ever had a winning I, record? I, I'm I'm asking seriously. Have they? What reason do we have to believe that New Mexico State has ever been good at football? In my lifetime, they have not been. And I say this as someone who definitely played a couple of dynasties with New Mexico State in NCAA football while I was a student at Northwestern. And I'm pretty sure they were pretty awful even then. So uh, whatever. Good, good luck, New Mexico State.
1: You may have a point. This is their first uh, year with more than three wins in at least five years. So
0: going on that evening... Uh, you've got, Oh my God. The last time there was in a bowl was 1960. Yeah. Like I said, it's been like a really, really long time
2: going, going on that evening, Sammy, I'm going to watch the Arizona bowl and then turn the TV off. What else would I want to watch that evening?
0: <laughs> well, why, why are you going to watch the Arizona bowl when the cats are playing at the same time? Well, I mean, so. that's
2: two T two TVs. You've got to, but <laughs> <laughs> but but that's what I'm saying. After that, I mean, I'm done with football for the day. What else could there be? Sure, I uh, I
0: mean nothing but USC and Ohio State uh, at the Cotton Bowl.
1: Um, I, I think we're going to save most of our NU preview for next week, right? Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, but but I did want to throw one one thing out there, which I didn't, I did not realize until I think I was listening to Insight NU, but um. Louisville and Kentucky have a basketball game that tips off at 1 p.m. at Rupp Arena that same day. Wow. Oh, wow. Which is a big effing deal. I don't think very many Kentucky fans are going to be there in uh, in Nashville.
2: Oh, that's a good point. Interesting. A lot of them have already probably turned the page. Well, that helps.
0: It's. It, I'm... I'm so excited to, to go to this game and it's going to be so much fun.
2: <laughs> and, but, but you mentioned Louisville, uh, scuzz enough about crooked athletic departments. Let's talk about USC and Ohio state. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. What a, what a matchup.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is, this is fascinating. I, I mean, I think Ohio state is the better team here, but, uh, you know, th- th- this is like this would be the Rose Bowl, right? Had were the Rose Bowl not in the uh, not in the playoff? Correct. Yeah.
1: So I mean, it's the Rose Bowl in in Texas. Ohio State number one in S and P rankings and number one in the SCUZ model. USC uh, approximately fifteen to twenty slots behind them. Certainly feels like a. Um, I don't want to say a mismatch, but it certainly feels a little lopsided, but I don't know, like U like Ohio State just looks so inconsistent and it just it USC just feels like a sleeping giant, you know? They've been they've flirted with with getting back to that national stage over the last couple of years as they've come out of sanctions. The Clay Helton era seems to be pretty stable. I mean, you know like Darnold is a big time talent that just has like wild swings up and down right now, and if he's up in this game and J T Barrett is not, like, whew, this could
2: go sideways. I know it's it's a weird thing because you immediately want to be like Ohio State has the weapons, but the other team is USC. Like Donald Ronald Jones is an amazing running back. Um, and I don't think they're gonna have
1: any problem with Ronald Jones. Let's be honest.
2: Yeah, I mean, I you know, I I think both of them. I guess the main thing I want to see, right, is I want good TJ Barrett and I want good Sam Darnold. Like, these are two guys that are capable of being so, so good but have been inconsistent. And I I just want the best version of those two guys. And, and if that happens, we might get a shootout. Well, and it feels like both of these teams are better
1: when they focus on their run game instead of their pass game. It was very clear that when Ohio State could get it going with, uh, with Dobbins and Weber, they were a much more impressive force to be reckoned with than when they uh, relied on Barrett to do too much. And that's, and I mean, that's been a criticism of uh, urban Meyer now for a number of years of, of being too reliant on the quarterback to be everything for the team, both running and passing. And on the opposite side, like USC figured out very early in the year that they they are a power rushing team and they are far more effective as a power rushing team. And when they try to not be that um, it gets problematic
2: and Ohio State right i mean if you're if you're asking specifically like what what's their best game this season from a perspective of they played a great team and they played really well against that team uh i mean Michigan State is the closest thing i mean they should have lost that penn state game um they put it on a michigan state team that you know it's still even now kind of hard to get a feel of what that team is um and aside from that, I mean the Wisconsin game, but that was kind of marked by Ohio State's inconsistency and failure to put uh, Wisconsin away. So I don't know. Here's here's a chance. I mean, if we'll see, Ohio State has yet to to really put their stamp on a big game this season. It
1: feels like a game that they could go up in, and then uh, Ohio uh, and then USC makes a, a dramatic comeback, and you have a finish similar to last year's Rose Bowl where they're just like trading blows and touchdowns at the very end
0: yeah I could that it should be a fun way to end the evening um yeah big long day of football uh, turning the page to Saturday December thirtieth uh Louisville and Mississippi State at the tax Slayer Bowl in Jacksonville
1: it's, I have no idea what to think about this
2: honestly I I would put solid money on Louisville in this one. Um, I think because they swan dived last season and because they sort of tailed off, you know, and ended up with four losses this season, I think there's maybe a little bit of a belief in people's minds that um, Louisville, you know, just is not playing particularly good football. But... 5 week you know 5 games ago Louisville beat Florida State and then they won 3 of their next 4 games after that and Lamar Jackson put up monster numbers in every one of those games and basically kept himself in the Heisman discussion and played himself into New York for a second straight year. So juxtapose that with Mississippi State doesn't have a quarterback right now again because of a horrible injury to Nick Fitzgerald on Thanksgiving. Um but when you match it up, I think you know one of these teams just has the firepower, and the other one doesn't. I feel like
1: good defenses have not shut down Jackson, but they've been able to turn him over, and they've been able to i mean i think the the book on Louisville was you know what Jackson is gonna get his yards, let him do his thing, and just make sure nobody else does anything against us and it gener i mean it often worked. Like I, I had a really difficult time projecting what Louisville was going to do this season. I kept, I kept missing. Like they, they'd win and look great. And I'd like, Oh sweet. You know, like they figured it out. I think they've got a great shot in this, in this next game. And then they'd look like, they'd look like garbage against NC state. And then you think, Oh wow. They really, th- you know, they're just too banged up. They can't get it done. And then right. They come out and they beat Florida state. I don't know. It's just, they, they were such a, an enigma this season. And, which is which is funny because with a guy as talented as Jackson you'd think that they'd be maybe a little bit more consistent. So I don't know. I I Mississippi State without Fitzgerald and without Dan Mullen feels like um a bit of a train wreck waiting to happen and and a team that might just be really excited to get past this season and move forward, but yeah, I mean, you never you never know. Jackson might be you know tentative with with the NFL draft looming I don't know, they just, there's just a lot of variables And I just I don't feel good about it one way or, or the other
0: There hasn't been any talk About him
1: skipping this game, right? He's, he expressly Said he's playing they, they There was an interview, he and um, I want to say another captain from the team But they were basically like He's basically like, yes, I'm definitely playing And his buddy was like, hell yeah, he's playing <laughs>
0: 1130 on ABC, you've got the Liberty Bowl, uh, Iowa State, and Memphis. Memphis, basically, I mean, they got a home game here. Um, they've been a fun story to watch, but not nearly as fun of a story as Iowa State. I mean, that was uh, quite a run by the Cyclones all season. Uh, tailed off a little bit late, but two great stories, uh, uh, at least as far as the teams go, going into this game. Here's should be a so lot he- of fun.
2: So here's a question for you guys. And, and I'll show you where I'm going with this in a second. Just based right off the top on what Memphis brings to the table and what Iowa State brings to the table, what's your instinct read on this game? Memphis is going to put up a ton of points. Right, exactly right. Iowa State played Oklahoma State, and Iowa State played Oklahoma this season. And in those two games combined, Iowa State scored 80 and gave up 80. Iowa state is ready to play with a team that wants to throw the ball all day and make it a shootout. And I think because they have played so many close games and they played some really defensive minded games, people forget that Iowa state can come and play back and forth football with the best uh, firepower that the nation has to offer. I just think it's just, I think people think that, well, Iowa state's not going to be able to stay with Memphis. And it's like, that's literally what Iowa state does is stay with firepower. I mean, Sure,
0: but uh you know, it is a home game for Memphis. Um, you know, the only team to beaten Memphis all year was Central Florida.
2: They did it twice. Sure. And Memphis had that big win against UCLA back at a time in the season when that meant something. Um, no, I I totally agree. I mean, Memphis is firepower. It's just like Iowa State's worst loss this season is by 7 points. Uh, they just played good teams all season and just were throwing haymakers and giving and getting all season. I, I mean, which, which, which loss are you referring to? Uh, who? What are you talking about? Iowa State's worst worst loss. I, I think by seven or by or was it by ten? Oh, you mean like point spread point. I mean, by, like, in terms of the amount of points that they gave up, yeah. Gotcha. I was going to say they lost by 10 to Texas, and that feels like a pretty terrible loss. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, that's true. I forgot, which, of course, was at the beginning of the season, no one rolled any eyes at whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That just seemed like history repeating. Um, And then, of course, we didn't know Iowa ended up being, you know, that Iowa loss ended up being a a nice feather in Iowa's cap by the end of the season. But, I mean, it's just like Iowa State just – Through punches all season. But again, just because they didn't have the reputation as a high flying team in the two games with the two teams they played who are known for amazing quarterback play and buckets of points, they scored 80 and they gave up 80. So I don't know. I, I want Iowa state to win this game, but, but it might be a good one. Moving on to the Fiesta bowl. Uh, yeah,
0: Washington and Penn state. Uh, it's weird. Like, Penn State after losing to Ohio State kind of vanished off everyone's radar. It's like, you know, oh, they're not in it anymore. No no one talk
1: about them. I think teams kind of figured out how to manage Saquon Barkley, who remains a really awesome talent, but he was not even on the radar for the Heisman at season end, and he was one of the odds-on favorites when when the year began teams figured him out no northwestern figured him out Ohio state shut him down like he had very little impact this season and um McSorley was you know we i, I talked about it at the beginning of the year like penn state threw a lot of 50 50 balls last year they got uh they had a lot of things kind of break their way and it just felt like Things were going to revert a little bit to the mean this season, and it and and it happened. And as a result, you know they've they've lost Joe Moorhead. He is not going to be coaching in this game on the uh, you know on the offensive side. Uh, I do I do not have faith in James Franklin on game day, so it'll be really interesting to see what happens there. And they're up against arguably one of the best coaches in in the last thirty years and Chris Peterson, who has just been a model of consistency and has. We talked about them earlier. During the, you know, we were, we were previewing Washington State, Michigan State. I mean, Washington is really fundamentally sound. They have a lot of great talent on on defense. Uh, their their offense, you know, Jake Browning wasn't as good this year as he was supposed to be, but they have a, an amazing run game. And I just I worry about Penn State's offensive line, which was a, which was a problem this season. Um, Washington's got a really good D line, and I just it it just feels like this is going to swing the way of of the Huskies
2: yeah I mean first of all they there's a chance Washington is the best team that Penn State has played this year Washington may be better than Ohio State we don't really know right now and I think Penn State that that's part of the reason why right I mean this is a team that had a one point loss to Ohio State that had they won that game they very likely might have won the Big Ten but it's I think so much of this was the way the Big Ten was this year that there were so few, team, so few teams had a hearty schedule that you end up with these teams with so few chances to prove themselves. And it's basically like Penn State had two back-to-back with Ohio State and Michigan State, and they blew it. And then no one cared what they did in their final three games because they were just expected to blow out three teams that they did blow out. So, I don't know. Maybe Penn State shows up. But, uh, yeah, I think my money's on Washington in this one. Yeah,
1: Washington. Washington
2: lost to Arizona State, and Arizona State fired their coach. True, but I, I again that was so. It's so weird too because it's like that they lost that I forget again. Washington's one of those other ones that got bit by that weird bug, and I don't know if it was the yeah, Arizona yeah, State yeah. loss or the Stanford loss, where again they. Uh, I'm just looking. it was it was
1: the Stanford loss. It was like a six day turnaround, right? It was something uh, like on, that on the road, and right? The, the other one was was a seven day. It was fine, but yeah, right. And, uh, ugh.
0: Yeah, I I just think you give Chris Peterson a month to plan for one team, and yeah, he's going to have a game plan in place to exactly attack Penn State where they need to be attacked. And give James James Franklin a month to prepare, and <laughs> and they'll look exactly the same as they have every other time they go out and play. I'm so damn
1: excited for the, the post-Joe Moorhead-James Franklin experience. Um, I loved the pre-Joe Moorhead-James Franklin experience, and I'm really I'm really excited for what the, the coming years have to, to bring.
0: Uh, later on that evening, you've got the Orange Bowl, Wisconsin and Miami. Uh, team with all the flash and pizzazz and turnover chain and excitement against Wisconsin.
2: Hmm. I, I'm just <laughs> pick, I'm just pick, picturing the turnover chain dipped into a giant vat of cheese right now. <laughs> <laughs> Wisconsin should do that. They should make like a cheese curd. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, I well, and the funny thing too, though, is right in terms of like the image of these two teams, they're very different, but both of these teams this season are all about defense. Um, Wisconsin's, you know. <sighs> Defense are, you know, arguably the best in the country and Jim Leonard, you can, I, you know, I don't know if they've given out the Broyles award, but it's hard to imagine someone more deserving of the Broyles than Leonard this year. I mean, what he's done with the Wisconsin defense is stunning. Um, especially given some of the injuries that they had. And then you've got turnover chain on the other side where it's like a team has found a way to bottle that swagger and use it to reinvigorate a defense. Um, and neither of these teams score buckets of points. So this may be, people might expect flash in this game, but it may end up being a really low-scoring struggle. It's interesting,
0: Wisconsin's a six-and-a-half-point favorite in this. I I didn't see that one coming. I, I kind of figured Miami might be favorite here. But, you know, only one loss for Wisconsin all year. And, you know, say what you will about the teams that they played, they did beat them all except for Ohio State there at the end. Going to New Year's Day, Uh, you're starting the day off at the Outback Bowl, uh, Michigan and South Carolina. I know we talked about that uh, after Selection uh, Sunday, um, the opportunity to just run back that Jadavian Clowney hit over and over and over is just so tantalizing and delicious. Um, Aside from that, I don't have a whole lot, I mean, I haven't seen South Carolina play much at all. and. Yeah, who knows what the hell to make of Michigan.
2: I so I say this wanting Michigan to lose this game because, of course, I want Michigan to lose this game. But South Carolina is not a great football team. (laughs) They're not nearly as good as their eight and four record. We talked a lot last week and we'll talk next week about the SEC East uh, kind of. Struggle, the SEC East's epic struggles versus the SEC West this season. South Carolina's a poster child for that. South Carolina, in their four losses, did not score more than 17 points. In three of those four losses, they did not score more than 13 points. So this is a team that scored 13 points, 10 points, 10 points in three of their losses. And they're playing in a January 1st bowl game. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, I know Michigan has their warts for sure, but I just... This just feels like a mismatch to me. Michigan's 45
1: slots ahead of South Carolina in the S&P Plus. And I just, the defense, et cetera, it just feels better for Michigan. Um, John O'Corn was even looking, you know, decent in that Ohio State game a little bit. And another, you know, month of ball practices, et cetera. I just like the Michigan defense is far and away the best thing in this game. And South Carolina's offense isn't great to begin with. I, you know, unless, unless one of these teams has a significantly different, you know, motivation, I guess Michigan's players are probably disappointed. This is not where they hoped to be, uh, at this stage in the year, but they also knew that like several, like many, many, many weeks ago. So I don't know. It, it, it's interesting. I, mean, I think the most interesting thing I take away from this game is the Michigan quarterback situation, namely that Shane Morris is, uh, th- is, is, is dealing at central Michigan and is going to be in a bowl game in three nights from now, which will be interesting to watch and that, um, nobody's happy with the current crop of quarterbacks at Michigan and that they're getting Shea Patterson from Mississippi. So I, you know, that might be another team where they're just kind of like punt on 2017 and let's focus on next year and maybe they lose this bowl as a result.
0: Uh, Moving to the Peach Bowl, uh, Central Florida and Auburn. And this is a game that is just so fascinating to me. I'm real excited for it. Uh, Central Florida, undefeated. Um, Scott Frost is going to be coaching that game uh, for the Knights uh, against an Auburn team. Three losses, you know, played in the SEC Championship game. Uh, You know, you've got this upstart mid-major, if you will, against an established you know, SEC power, if you will. Uh This could go so many different ways. Auburn's a nine and a half point favorite. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I see scenarios where Auburn destroys. I see a scenario where Auburn barely wins. I see a scenario where Central Florida barely wins. And I could see Central Florida
2: destroying as well. So, I mean, all, all the options are on the table, I think, in this game. This game's so exciting. I can't wait to watch this one play out. You're right. I think UCF is just dying to prove they're better than the number 12 spot in the country. I think they are. Um, this team is is a monster. They make their bones with offense, yet they have one of the best defensive players in the country. And by the way, if you need one single reason to watch this game, it's Shaquem Griffin. If you haven't seen Shaquem Griffin yet this season, you're doing yourself a disservice. He's one of the best defensive players in the country, and he has one hand. It's just mind-boggling. Um, the only thing that makes perfect sense is This is how UCF has a middle linebacker who clearly should be playing for Alabama. Um, He's unreal. No one else on their defense is close to as good as he is, but he's such an impact player um, and has made game changing plays for them all season. But mainly you just watch him and you're like, Oh yeah, that guy's going to play in the NFL. Why is that guy playing for UCF? He's not one of those guys. That's like the little engine that could, he's a flipping monster. And the only reason he's at UCF is because he has one hand, which doesn't seem to impede his ability to play whatsoever. But it's just a fascinating thing to watch. And just one more storyline in this game.
1: I am not convinced. I not drinking the, not drinking the night Kool-Aid. I'm not. And I don't get me wrong. I love the UCF story. I, I will root root hard for these guys forevermore because of, of what they've done in the, um, in the short post Scott Frost era (laughs) in inviting him back to coach the bowl game and wishing him well in his next stop. Like I just, I said it last week, like it's self-awareness in, in a sport that is the antithesis of self-awareness. And I just, it's really, really impressive to me. And I love the stories, Griffin, like you mentioned um, that, you know, the, the, the back and forth game they had with central Florida or with a uh, South Florida in the championship game. Like this is just an, an, an awesome story. The turnaround from last year, et cetera, I will be rooting big time for, for central Florida. That being said, I just, I don't see how their defense can stop carry on Johnson I don't see how they can put pressure on Jared Stidham. And I think Auburn is going to carve them apart on the other side of the coin. Like Auburn's defense is really stout, but they're not a, um, they're not the type of defense like Miami that kind of like, you know, rips your head off and and tears you apart. They're not super aggressive. So maybe there's um, maybe there's something for central Florida, uh, on the other side of the ball, and that you know, against a fundamentally sound and talented defense, they can still get some things done because they have a pretty innovative offense, et cetera. So, we shall see. But I am, I am skeptical that that this game is going to go the way that we want it to.
2: I'm skeptical that the next game is going to go the way that I want it to as well. <laughs> what way do you want it to go,
0: John? Uh, We're We're talking about the Citrus Bowl with Notre Dame and LSU.
2: Uh, I I, obviously I want, but with the exception of the thumping that they took in Miami, as much as I might like uh, LSU um, uh, to pull this one out. I don't know. I feel like on the measure of the season, it's easy to remember um, the moments for Notre Dame that were really rough. I mean, the Georgia loss at home, Um, was rough just from a Notre Dame fan's perspective, I would assume. Um, And then the Miami game, of course, they just absolutely took it on the chin. That was the zenith of turnover chain mania. Um, And then they had to go out to Stanford and play a really good Stanford team, and they lost that one as well. But, boy, when Notre Dame was good this year, they were really good. And their lows were not LSU's lows, which, granted, came earlier in the season. But I don't know. I just feel like on the measure of it, this Notre Dame team is capable of playing really good football.
1: Well, I, I mean, you got we got to remember, right? Danny Etling is still LSU's quarterback. <laughs> True, and, and they are far better uh, with the run than they are the pass, and I, I mean, like I, I just Notre Dame's defense is geared so much more so to be able to stop the run i don't I don't think this is a particularly great matchup for lSU because on on the other side of the ball uh like lSU's defense is good but it's not like what they had during the uh during the heyday uh, of the um of the last miles years uh that you know against against the pass. They're top 20, but against the rush, they're like top 30. And if Josh Adams is healthy and Brandon Wimbush is, is healthy. Like I just, I think they're going to wreak havoc uh, on, on LSU's defense. And I don't think that um, Etling and and Geis are going to be able to do the same thing on the other side.
2: Also, I want to add LSU won six of their last seven games Monstrous asterisk attached to this. (laughs) Of their six wins, five of those teams fired their head coach at the end of the season. And the sixth, Auburn, at the time they lost to LSU, everyone thought they were going to fire their head coach too. And the week before LSU began this stretch of wins, they lost to Troy. So, (laughs) again, LSU was in, was in a position to massively benefit from just the garbage fest that was going on in a full half of the SEC this year. And, and, and I mean, on the other side of the coin down the stretch, uh,
1: Notre Dame played Miami, Navy, and Stanford in three—well,
2: Wake Forest in four consecutive weeks. Yeah,
1: no. L- L- it, it, LSU
2: it, was not facing that level of competition <laughs> on, the, on the measure.
1: USC and NC State the two weeks before that. So I mean, this is this is not one of those years where you can scoff at Notre Dame's schedule. Like, and I think they just got you know they got ground out by uh, by the end of there. So,
0: uh, so we're gonna go ahead and leave it there as far as our bowl previews go. Yes, I know we are are missing the the two biggest ones that a lot of people are uh, very excited about. We'll be back two. next week. Well, three, three. <laughs> <laughs> I we we did gloss over. It. Gloss over the Cats game as well. Um, We're going to come back next week and talk about the Northwestern-Kentucky game, as well as the two playoff games, uh, Georgia-Oklahoma and Alabama-Clemson. Just really, we'll sink our teeth into all those next week. Uh, Before we go, quick check-in on the uh, men's basketball program. Um, Northwestern got a real tight-fought win against DePaul. Uh, Down at DePaul's brand new uh, arena down there in the South Loop. Um, Back and forth game. That was a lot of fun to watch. And, uh, you know, fortunate. I think the Cats got fortunate that uh, they were able to end it when they did and didn't go into OT just with foul trouble and Vic Law getting hurt. You know, that that bench was was getting
1: kind of thin there down the stretch. It's, it's already kind of thin <laughs> yeah, um although that being said uh Isaiah Brown and Anthony Gaines have been um pretty big contributors uh in the last in the last handful of games, and they were th- they were especially so in this one with uh chris Ash as well with 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 law going out hurt, and I thought when law went down, I thought that was that was uh, curtains for the cats. this game reminded me a little bit of the Creighton game, just the back and forth nature of it and I think we've continued to see a really strong performance from NU uh, in the month of, of December. And now that that Oklahoma game is looming and who boy um, law did not play tonight against Lewis. He sat out. I guess it's his birthday too. So that's exciting. But, but the way everybody's talking, it sounds like he's healthy and, uh, and should be able to play next week.
2: Oh, and he better be because we are about to be fed into the Trey young buzzsaw. Uh, Oklahoma uh, has a freshman who is squa- solidly in the National Player of the Year conversation and certainly in the Best Freshman of the Year conversation. Trey Young was a major recruit for Oklahoma. He's playing out of his mind. Two games ago, they went on the road to Wichita State, then the number three team in the country, and won by eight. Ouch. And then he came home tonight and set the NCAA record for assists in a game with 22. So that's what we've got coming up on the road. Good luck, boys. (laughs) Oklahoma Oklahoma
0: averaging 93 points per game. That is third in the country.
2: Oh boy, Uh, the the Depaul performance not going to cut it. Uh, But hey, the flip side—if everything comes together and we get that the team that showed up against Gonzaga, the team that we've been searching for since the start of the season and and pull this one off boy that's exactly the way to flip the script on a season but it's a tall order
0: uh so yeah that would be a marquee win that would make us kind of forget about that texas tech loss uh kind of get over the the sting of the georgia tech and the purdue losses and that creighton loss but that would be a, a huge huge win for the cats and you know kind of really go you know, put the stamp back on the season make us think that Things are going in the direction we want them to go. Um, And, you know, yes, it's, you know, you can't make analogies to this, but if the defense that played against Chicago State and Valpo um, shows up, then that will be probably the only way we win. I don't know. I mean, we're going to, that defense needs to show up against Oklahoma.
2: For sure. I mean we'll see. We know it's there. We know this team has just been searching for the magic all season, and this is the time they need to find it. So we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week as we
0: continue our search for the swoley grail.
1: So I'm going to tell my favorite Damian Anderson story. It seems appropriate, even though it might be a little inappropriate. Um, so one day at band camp, and Sam and I were discussing earlier today if this was really band camp or if this was a, a rehearsal during the season, but uh, Damian Anderson came to a, uh, a a numb practice my freshman year. And we... Uh, it, we, we did this this one stretch where uh, basically like you're lying on your stomach and you you know you push your torso up and stretch your back out a little bit. We called it a gopher hole because it was like a gopher coming out of a hole and we asked Damien Anderson as a band to show us his gopher hole and and, and uh, Sam figures this is this was the week we we're playing Minnesota. It was um, because he
0: did that on what he did he did on the prediction card.
1: Oh, okay, okay, okay. That's what it was. So they they asked him, they asked him to predict who was going to win, and uh, and asked him, you know, uh, if he would do a, a a gopher hole. And he goes, "Gophers! I'll show you what I think of the gophers." And um, started pelvic thrusting into the ground as he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> he pelvic <laughs> thrusted on the prediction card. <laughs> and. Um, it was awesome. We lost our minds, and uh, <laughs> i i we we lost to Minnesota that year because it was our our freshman year, um, and we didn't win any bowl games, or we didn't, or maybe it was no, it was freshman year. Yeah, we didn't win any games that year uh, in the Big Ten, so that was unfortunate. But um, he got his just desserts a couple years later at the Metrodome for for the uh, the epic victory, right comeback against Minnesota. So. Um, Here's to you, Damien. I never,
2: I've never forgotten that moment. It was a lot of fun. I'm so biting my tongue right now. The thing I want to say is, was that relative to your fandom? was Settle, that the sec, the, the,
0: settle, settle down.
2: I just want to point out that through the magic of podcasting, we've just edited out a section of all of us <laughs> dying of laughter uh, after a I made a comment that I cannot make on the air, but it was, it involved Damien Anderson and Northwestern and it was peripheral to the comment that Scuzz made. So I'll just, I'll just let you work your, your I, imaginations I, on. That. I, th-
0: I think our <laughs> listeners are smart enough to connect the dots <laughs> that reach back just to the beginning top, of our podcast Topics
2: that have been covered today. <laughs> we can put
0: it all together. We know where you're going with that, bud. Just settle down.
2: <laughs> well, anyway, for my final thought, um, uh, on that note, I'll offer up a reminder um, to anyone who hasn't reached out to us, um, emailed Pirates um, at gmail.com about potentially coming to our Northwest um, Music City Bowl party at the Arlington Alehouse in Arlington Heights. Um, please let us know if you're interested in attending or if you think you might be attending or if you know someone who's attending. We're just trying to get the right numbers uh, as, as quickly as we can to, to pass on to the establishment. Um, it has been brought to my attention that due to the, the magic of Yahoo's bargain basement email setup, uh, an email that I sent out earlier this week um, to people in the northwest suburbs, as a reminder, may not have gone through, so I'll be resending that out uh, ASAP but again if you're interested it's going to be a good time uh, let us know and, and come on out
0: uh, for my final thought a bit of a somber finish to uh, an otherwise jovial podcast um, Trevor Simeon's season is over after uh, hurting his shoulder against the Colts last weekend uh, in what is more than likely his last start uh, for the Broncos. I, I just don't see a scenario where he'll be back starting for the Broncos next year, at least right off the bat. And there's some question on whether or not he'll be back with the with the team next year. Um, hopefully he will. Uh, if nothing else, we know that he is a very capable backup quarterback in the NFL. Um, but i just wondering if... Yeah, I, I just have no idea if the the goodwill of the fans or lack thereof will be enough to keep him with the squad. Um, Like I say, I really hope he stays with the Broncos. It's it's great to have uh, not one, but two Wildcats on the Broncos. Joseph Jones is also on the team after, you know, the Broncos being his fourth team in his rookie year. Uh, But, um, you know, very bitter way to see Simeon's, season end if not his career with the Broncos. Hopefully hopefully that's not the case. But uh um yeah. Trev get better soon, bud. Uh and you know, we know that regardless of your your future in the NFL, uh he was the guy to follow Peyton Manning and start for the Super Bowl champion Denver Broncos. So that that that'll be a, a lasting legacy for one Trevor Simeon. And we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at westlawpirates. Uh, you can shoot us an email at westlawpirates at gmail.com, and you can call our voicemail line, 847-231-CATS. That's 847-231-2287. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the Westlaw of Ryan Field, flying the red pirate flag, Because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.